0: We just started with our celebration for ChatGPT and I think we'll do a small transition and then I'm gonna take a deep breath and we're gonna cover a one year of AI updates that happened since ChatGPT released a year ago. So let's get it started. No, not this one, this one. Let's go. All right, folks. Welcome to Thursday Eyes' second hour. And we want to wish ChatGPT a very happy birthday today. It's been one year of insanity for many of us because when it released, a lot of things changed. For many people, ChatGPT is actually a day-to-day friend that they use all the time. I'm one of those folks. I actually have several friends. ChatGPT was the main one out of them and definitely... The more capable, especially with the recent updates, and I will say that first of all, Logan, you're obviously welcome to the stage to say a few words if you want to. But ChatGPT, when it came out a year ago, many people—it was their first time they interacted with a model, an AI model that was trained for help. So I think it's very important for us, just like to try, and I know it's really hard to do because again, the mystic adaptation happens, and we all use these tools and we're like expect things at this point. For many people, interacting with an AI in this chatty way was the first time they interacted with a model that seemed like it knows what they want in, in, in natural language as well. And definitely there was GPT-3 and 3.5 before. And just like a very interesting thing, before ChatGPT released OpenAI offered Instruct. And so GPT-Instruct, there was a paper about Instruct. And the endpoints were completion. As a person who used the OpenAI APIs before, the endpoints were completion. You would give a chunk of text, and ChatGPT would like continue the rest of. Oh, sorry, the GPT API would continue the rest of the text, and ChatGPT changed all that because you can converse with natural language. It was incredible, and many folks. I think a week after ChatGPT was released, I have myself clocked at December 11th, and Logan, you know this. so I'm not shy about this, but many folks decided that hey. This is incredible. This is way better than the API just because of that ability to send a bunch of text and would react to. Uh, instructions in the middle of the prompt and before the prompt, many folks started creating unofficial APIs for JGPT while also asking Ch- OpenAI to release a ChatGPT uh, API for us by hacking together. So the browser, hacking together the browser. I was one of those as well who did this. I have a Telegram bot that I released on 11 days after, so December 11, where I literally have a browser window open running on my basement machine that clicks the button in the browser, extracts HTML chunks, and then sends it back to like an impromptu hacky API. And I wasn't the only one. There was a whole community. I think there's like 12,000 people in the Discord community of like unofficial ChatGPT API because people wanted to build. OpenAI released their version of how it should look like, but people wanted to say, hey, I want to put this in a Telegram bot, like something that I did. I want to put this in in, in this and that. And I think it's very important to click in for a second where before a year ago... Such an interface didn't exist for many people. Chatbots were a thing in like 2017, if you remember. Around like when Slack was popping off, there was a whole there was a whole area of chatbots that people got excited about them, and then said, "Hey, those are not even remotely as useful because they were all based on just rules, and there was no no AI built in." And basically a year ago, that all changed. So it's super super cool. So. Last week, somebody asked, well, what are some examples of ChatGPT in your day-to-day usage, for example? And my example was collecting all of the responses to that thread on Twitter. I think it was Linus Ekenstam. I literally just selected all of them in my browser, just like copy all of this, just dumped this into ChatGPT and asked for sentiment analysis. And I asked for a, like a nice markdown table, a CSV table. And then I asked it to run some code for me to generate a word cloud out of it and this was my answer to that person what wasn't possible before a year ago i literally performed the task that would it would be either very problematic for me and i know how to write code i'm not the best at it but like i'm okay i but sentiment analysis training an nlp model like all these would be probably inconceivable but i did this in 45 seconds and so to me the answer to hey what is some of your use case was analyzing the answers as well so just an incredible power up for all of us I think also it's worth mentioning for the birthday part that ChatGPT was the fastest growing product in the world since ever. And I think before that, we talked, the folks talked about Facebook reaching some milestone of 100 million users and Snapchat and some other big companies. ChatGPT, I think, was the top one. And Sam Altman covered this with Lex Friedman. It wasn't by surprise. It wasn't catching OpenAI by surprise. S- Sam Altman said, We expected it to be one of the top 10 fastest growing products in commercial history, but it was the first one. So I think they crossed the 100 million users the fastest or or paid users, et cetera. And so this was all happening in in December 22. So let's start doing the month by month breakdown. ChatGPT becomes the fastest growing product in history, and we got... So important things to note, I'll mention, but we got uh, GPT 3.5 back then, not even 4, 3.5 with a 4K context window. And it was instruction fine-tuned and conversational RLHF. And so reinforcement learning with human feedback. Basically, this was like the first time that we saw an AI that was tuned towards conversations that humans, human raters preferred. And so we got an AI that's like fine-tuned to be helpful to us. This was in December. In January, not a lot of things happened. People were getting used to these like insane powers and power ups. I will remind that like even at this point, there's many folks who don't pay for ChatGPT Premium. And again, if you come to Thursday, I pay the twenty bucks. Just like your life will just be so much better in terms of the stuff that you can achieve. But in January, Microsoft. Thank you, Mesh. I think you pointed this out. Microsoft invests additional ten billion dollars into OpenAI. So Microsoft already had an investment in OpenAI, a strategic investment. Some of this was in Azure credits, I believe, and some of this was in in thinking about, okay, they probably saw what GPT-4 was. We didn't get GPT-4 yet in January, but Microsoft already knew about this. GPT-4 finished training in summer 22. So we didn't get the release, but many folks already understood. I think Microsoft also had a paper that's called Sparks of AGI, so they definitely had eyes on what GBT-4 is going to be. And so in January, there was a $10 billion investment into OpenAI. Let's go to February. February marks the huge explosion in open source, because Meta AI released Lama 1, the biggest open source LLM. It was released on February 24th. If you folks remember Lama 1, it was not that great <laughs> compared to Llama 2. But also, it was no commercial license. It was only for research. It got 30% on the MMLU benchmark evaluation. And LAMA did not come with instruction fine-tuning. So actually, if you'd try to use Llama one as a chat bot, it would suck. It would not be great. And it's because it wasn't RLHF at all, they just released a huge model that was trained for millions of dollars. But it shot, like, a, how should I say Like an opening shot for the competition from open source and and closed source AI. And at that point in February, it was starting to get clear to many people that this is a huge thing that just happened with the release of ChatGPT. And again, before ChatGPT, APIs were there. OpenAI was a company. I used its APIs. There were like all these startups on top of the GPT API that help you write like marketing copy. Now all of those users go to JGBT directly and just ask for stuff. But previously there was folks who were building UIs on top of OpenAI, but now you have this conversational ability. And I think Meta and folks understood fairly quickly that, hey, this is like a huge thing. And we we send them huge kudos for Lama1 and just the whole Llama kind of approach because that opened the open source LLM warning shot or start of the race. And definitely... If folks here on stage want to cover like Llama One real quick, if what you remember from that, L- Yam, I don't know, I saw you react. Do, do, do you remember Llama One, or did you join the whole thing after? Oh
1: yeah, of course. I was I was before that. I was using a GPT-J at the time. <laughs> yeah, Llama yeah, is basically the first mo- open source model that was kind of on the ballpark of being nearly on the same level as the close story it was not there yet but it was good enough that you could work with
0: you could smell it you could see it in the
1: you could fine tune and see something useful it's not out of the box useful but you could see something there is potential it was good enough that you could use it for limited limited tasks yeah and llama two was just the whole next level and absolutely useful and today we have mistral and You'll wait for llama 3 and it just llama was the, exactly as you say the, the point where everything changed
0: for open source, open source and, and uh, at that point people were already mm-hmm. like getting used to the conversational nature and the interfaces omesh go ahead and then we'll continue mm-hmm. to march
2: yeah if i don't know if anybody has worked with bert model but if you are coming from bert then llama was like an eye opener <laughs> one and then if you are go by the same lineage, then you can see the exponential that happened, by the way. And basically, just to add one more thing, a personal thing, basically. So I remember when I started working with LLMs and then, you know, uh, GPT-2 and all that, I had built a poster where I had said, I will resign when we can speak to a model the way we speak to humans. So when ChatGPT was released, we had we already had some access to GPT-3 and all that. But when ChatGPT was released, within five days, I made a decision. And that's where I started my startup on 5th of December. Mm-hmm. So I actually resigned on 1st of December last year.
0: <laughs> hey, congrats, man. So also like your one year is coming soon as well. So definitely Indeed. life-changing. <laughs> I think for many of us here on stage, many things changed with ChatGPT. So like definitely like huge shout out to OpenAI for that. Because definitely I started playing with AI way before. I have a recording with Codex and Copilot two years before that. I think Copilot was released two years before that. Many developers who started seeing between the lines of what Copilot can do, because you could get some of these stuff from Copilot if, if you did comments, but many people from the developer community already started like getting a feel of, hey, what's an AI assistant that's day-to-day that does some stuff that, for you, what could look like? Developers, many didn't use Copilot before, ChatGPT was that for many other folks who are not writing only code because Umesh, like just said, this was like the first time that you could actually speak a natural language. Whereas with Copilot, you had to speak a natural language and they would spit out code. And so in February, we had Llama 1 and Llama 1 was that for open source, not nearly that, like Yam said. It was like that in the distance, you could see it. But yeah, Umesh, compared to like different bird models and different other open source things that existed, GPT-J, Llama started like showing significant improvements. And also we saw that Meta is stepping into the scene. Meta is a huge company with a lot of resources, aka GPU rich from the nomenclature, right? And so we saw their step into this also a significant improvement. I will take a deep breath before March. Before to me, because to me, March changed everything. March was a singular month. And I think I want to say October and November this year was also a singular month, but... No, there was like, okay, we're accelerating, folks. I, if you follow the EAC stuff at all, and I know some folks on the stage here are prominent in the EAC community, this is we're basically covering EAC as a thing because we're accelerating. February, like Lama One, okay, ChatGPT unofficial APIs started to pop off in in February, so all, all of the unofficial stuff that I told you about, people started like churning out demos of what could be possible with a natural language conversation type interface but outside of a chat interface. Like I said, I had the Telegram stuff. Some people were building things even though there was no API. And March 1st, OpenAI announced the ChatGPT API. So basically, so far, they had completion APIs. And then now you could finally hit an endpoint as a developer, hit an API endpoint, and developers could now build ChatGPT-powered apps. And the difference between a completion API, where it it continues from the last thing you said... Into the chat powered API is significant, because so far it was all hacky, and now people can actually like build. First of all, their own UIs and APIs. All the clones and all of the power apps were based on like very flaky APIs, so you couldn't put them in production, right? Literally, all the demos by that point, mine and some other folks, people put them in production and they had to hold them. And they were following a lot. They were like, there's a lot of bugs. And now stability as a concept, not the company, stability as a concept came into the, the whole thing. And businesses could start building chat interfaces, whereas previously they built completion. And just 10 days later, just 10 days later, this nice dude from, I think, Bulgaria, somewhere in Eastern Europe, in a weekend, decided to say, hey, remember that Llama thing that was released just like 14 days ago? I'm going to write that in C+. And so this was the birth of Lama.cpp from Georgi Girganov, the goat. Shout out Georgi. Let me actually have a I have a thing. Oh. <laughs> Sorry for DJ Khaled type approach, but Georgi Girganov, if there's one dude that deserves, that is is a Georgi with just like an incredible attempt at Lama.cpp. Llama.cpp is basically for those who are not yet familiar, is the or back then was the, the fastest way to run inference on Lama, uh, in because he wrote it in C++ over a weekend. So this whole thing started over a weekend. One thing that llama CPP started supporting is quantization. So I'm sure the quantization was around before, but to me, the whole concept of quantization, the whole concept of taking model weights, taking this brain that we get with that like meta released, etc., and making it smaller in precision points a little bit, but making it smaller to be able to actually run. To me, that whole kind of area of open source AI started with Llama CPP and its support from Georgi. I think he had the, and folks, please chime in here afterwards. I think uh, Georgi also reads some of the scripts that actually quantize models for you and make them smaller to run on your machines. And this is March 10th, just like 10 days after the ChatGPT API. So we're seeing two tracks. We're seeing the open AI track and the open source AI track churning in, in different paces. Folks, thoughts about Llama CPP? As it was released, if you played with it as it was released, or like, when do you start NIST? I want to hear from you because I know you used it a bunch.
3: Yeah, it's, it's great. Use it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I, w- I want to shout out specifically this thing. Mark Zuckerberg went on Lex Friedman's podcast and talked about LAMA. I think around the time that LAMA 2 was released. We're not there yet. We're going to get there in our update soon. And Lex Friedman mentioned this. And Mark Zuckerberg said, this is why we open sourced LAMA. Community efforts like Lama CPP and others showed us what's possible and some of the stuff that Georgi did and then the community picked up, right? Georgi started this, he's like the brain behind this, but obviously there's a whole community of folks who want to run local models super quick on their own servers and they all contribute to Lama CPP as well. And Facebook has benefited from that. And if you guys remember the whole criticism for OpenAI, we cannot like shy away from the criticism. The name says OpenAI, GPT 3.5, N4, 4Vision, none of these were released in open source. Whisper is like the latest thing I remember OpenAI releasing in open source. Uh, But GPT-2 was released in open source, right? So they had some open source attempts in the past. And Facebook took a different approach. Meta took a different approach. And this is like Llama CPP is a good example of what happens when you open source. Because again, Mark Zuckerberg came on Lex Friedman. Not only do they know about Llama CPP within Facebook Meta, they also use some of the techniques that the community brought up with them after this release of open source.
3: I was talking with the bloke yesterday on how to standardize the vision models and vision fine tunes that are going to come them to be standardized as releases for gguf format which is the llama cpp format so we're working on that because if you quantize too much for example with stable lm3b models that the vision ones don't really work but for us for mistral it worked up until q3 which is about less than half the size of the models so yeah and llama cpp supports multi-model too supports whisper they have whisper cpp it's it's great and anything that you find in gguf format on hugging face that's meant to be run with the llama cpp and soon you'll also see all the all vision models uh, so, auto converted to that thanks
0: so, listen the quantization part i think is what you're talking about where like it loses some precision, especially in, in models. I will just say that this GGML format, GGML, I think, is like Georgi grand of machine learning. I think that's what it stands for. The GGML format was released, I think, with Lama CPP and Whistler CPP as well. And he had scripts to turn bigger models into smaller models by reducing precision. It recently changed into GGUF, but it's pretty much the same thing. And it's so goated. It's so good that Hugging Face actually has a tag where you can hit the tag, it will filter the result of the models into GGUF comparable models. It was, it's super cool. Georgi is goaded forever because he's, I think, the only person that has like a literal initial things on tags on Hug and Face. So shout out, Georgi. And I think one more thing there is, there's also additional model, AW something. Uh, I'm not sure about that one. Um, so definitely check out the GGUF stuff. And oh, yeah, Nista, you mentioned the blog for folks who are not, Aware and anybody who comes with Thursday I should be aware of the bloke at this point. Any type of open source model that gets released by folks like Alignment Lab, by Pharrell, and Skunkworks, by, by New Swissers, like all these like great folks, and even Quell, Quen, like all, all the, the things we cover in the open source era, in the open source section of Thursday. I, the bloke, I don't know how he does this, but I know that he's supported by a 16 z He then runs scripts. Probably those scripts were created by Georgi or some other folks to quantize those models, to make them smaller, to be able to actually let you download them easier. And the blog does this within 30 minutes of models release. And it's a great service to the community. So shout out the blog and folks should definitely follow him on, on Hug and Face and other places. Let's move on because March is, again, a singular month and we just covered ChatGPT API was released on March 1st. LlamaCPP was released on March 10th. Stanford released Alpaca 7B on March 13th. Alpaca was the first fine tune on a self instruct GPT 3.5 dataset. So, again, no GPT 4 back then, nothing like close to GPT 4 back then. March 13th, Alpaca 7B was released and it was a fine tune on Llama using. Many conversations that people went to ChatGPT and created. It's like a self-instruct data set. Alpaca was a big deal because it was from Stanford. It was for research purpose only. Lama was not commercially licensed yet, so Alpaca wasn't as well. And it was I think since then like a significant point because again, this made Llama useful. This made Llama. this fine-tune made People interact with the Llama model and try to, to play with this. And it was like fairly incredible. And I recommend reading the Alpaca, Alpaca sorry, blog for those who are interested in what happened there. Yam, go ahead,
1: please. It pretty much proved for the first time that synthetic data works for LLMs. For the first time ever. That just creating data synthetically actually works. It's a huge deal it pretty much sparked the whole explosion that we saw right after it. All the big names got the idea because they saw that Alpaca pretty much works. And for now, it might look trivial, but before that, it wasn't trivial at all that anything like this would even work. But uh, yeah. So huge. It did, and yep.
0: Huge shout out to to folks at Stanford, yes.
1: Because it, it pretty much allowed everyone to join the game. Now creating datasets, became very cheap, where before that it was extremely expensive when you need a team of thousands of people. And now you can just use a model in, I don't know, in whatever way, shape or form with whatever trick that you want, but basically just open the gate for everything that we see now. It's a huge deal.
0: It's a huge deal. And they used GPT 3.5 for it. So like essentially, The intelligence that OpenAI spent millions of dollars to to train, to give us as in the UI in chat GPT, people were using that to help them generate data sets. That's what, Jan, you mean by synthetic, correct? People were using those models to create data sets. They're not written by humans or they're not part of the information you collect from the internet and then you clean it, etc., in order to improve a different model. So, yeah, synthetic showed alpaca showed the roadmap for the ability to do this and i i agree like it's huge deal it was a huge deal since then for open source but in the hype circles it was a huge deal for exactly one day because this was march 13th and then march 14th marks a unique day in in my personal life because that's when Thursday I started, but it started because this other thing happened. GPT-4 was announced and released to us, and ChatGPT got an upgrade, but got a brain upgrade basically. So March 14th, GPT-4 was announced, and not only it was already, I think everybody got access that same day. GPT-4 vision was demoed as well. So Greg Brockman has this very mm, memorable video demo where he starts talking about ChatGPT and he, with GPT-4, so like ChatGPT was upgraded into GPT-4 and GPT-3 was still there. They announced context window increase, a significant one, to 2x for the ChatGPT from 4K to 8K and also 32K was possible. Via the API, many people didn't get this for the longest time. 67% on human eval was unprecedented back then. And I think 86% on MMLU. And the best thing for me was they announced the vision. And I saw, Skalsky, you went with like thumbs up. And I also like, I, I raised my hands like, my job was on the floor the first time that I saw Greg Brockman sketch a thing and then upload that image to a chatGPT interface. I think back then they did this on Discord. And then chatGPT just like basically built that HTML. This happened on March 14th. They already had those capabilities back then. One thing that I want this to highlight is, <laughs> how much further OpenAI is from what we get as people in actual product, right? Like how much more their research, how much further the research is. It took them a long while to release vision for us in terms of API or even in the UI, but they already had examples of this on March 14th. Another example was that was incredible to me, I posted about this, and I think I had a, one of my more viral tweets ever, is Greg took a screenshot, live screenshot of a Discord interface, and if you've been on Discord, and I'm sure you all have been at least once, it's a very busy interface. There's like channels on the left, etc. And shoved this like screenshot into GPT-4 Vision and asked it to give it the most details. And so it had Logan and Boris and Greg and all these people in the audience. ChatGPT was able to understand which of the channels are currently active, so it understands UI. We, it's obvious to us now because we have access to those tools. Everybody can go. Even if you don't pay the twenty bucks, you can go through through Microsoft. But back then, this was just like a jaw on the floor moment because the level of understanding of the UI was very complex, was just unprecedented. And I still kind of refer to that moment as my my imagination opened in terms of what will be possible very soon when they release this. And Thursday, I first conversation happened on March fourteenth as well because we were so shocked about what we just saw and we tried to imagine a world where all of the developers that we know will get access to this via API. And that world is what we're going through right now. Like multimodal is everywhere. And we're going to talk about, actually one thing I didn't mention, but Cursor, the IDE for developers that's like full GPT-4, they just added multimodality as well. So you can actually upload screenshots from your designer and we'll know what type of library you use for components will actually code that design in your, so basically like replaces, not replaces, augments and helps HTML developers to create components. Back then, this was the future in March, and now this is like the reality for every one of us. We have this in tools. So incredible, that's how acceleration feels. Any more thoughts about GPT-4 folks from on the stage or GPT-4 vision as we saw it in the demo? To me, this day was like a huge day. Any memorable things from March, or we can move on because there's another thing that was launched that day. Yeah, go ahead, Peter.
4: I can only share my like feeling after that demo. I was like, I was doing a lot of traditional computer vision with like real time detectors, all of that stuff. We saw what Greg showed, and I was like, I was actually scared for my job I remember <laughs> after that. I was like. Do we even need computer vision engineers anymore? It turns out we need even more computer vision engineers (laughs) after that happened. But yeah, I remember I was like drinking tea after that, sitting in my kitchen and like scared about the job. So (laughs) that was interesting. I want to highlight. Yeah, go ahead. other Other than that, what you mentioned is also important. How long did it take for them to release that? like i heard so many stories from behind the scenes about lack of gpus and they, they simply didn't have enough firepower to support like 10 gpt with vision because of the high demand so it also shows you like even though that they had stuff and like you said they were so much ahead like they still couldn't release that because uh, probably because of resources yeah mm-hmm. so
0: Resources It's really and the board back then was the board that recently got dismissed as well. Uh, Sparks of AGI paper came out and also talked about how vision improves significantly. So definitely there was like other considerations, but definitely resources. Go ahead, Nistan.
3: It's really interesting. There was a a talk six days ago by the creator of Mojo and uh, he was explaining about scalability and stuff. And the one thing he was complaining was labor shortage. He can't find enough, and this is a well-funded, well-known company that anyone would love to work for. And he can't find, kernel and compiler engineers that have experience with GPUs and machine learning. So it, it's a really strange paradox how with more AI and more automation, we're ending up with more demand for uh, human labor to just fix the little things. And you can see it, ChatGPT, GPT, I mean, open AIs uh, codex and the GitHub co- Copilot has been out for a year and a half, and demand for programmers have just has gone up in the last year and a half. So it, it's pretty strange how that ends up working out.
0: I, I absolutely subscribe to this. I had a talk, I think around two years ago, that the, it started with will uh, developers will be replaced, and it turns out not only not, there will be more demand for them. Go ahead, Omesh, and then Peter
2: yeah not to forget that i released the agi vision on february 24th if you remember the famous declaration from openai saying agi is just around the corner and these are the, the this is the path that we foresee in front of us and what kind of structure we are going
0: to put around to basically manage when it manifests itself <laughs> Yes. And uh, they, again, back then, they already had some models trained that we didn't yet have access to. And so definitely the purpose of OpenAI, or at least I think it's now going to be reconfigured, but the purpose of OpenAI is to bring about the AGI to the world to help improve it. Peter, go ahead. And then we have another thing on March 14 that happened that people forgot. But yeah, go ahead.
4: I just wanted to throw a joke, or maybe it's not a joke, but maybe there is high, higher demand for ML engineers. But at the same time, Stack Overflow is pretty much done. For the same reason, there is more work for us. But at the same time, we use those tools, so we don't need Stack Overflow. So it's also a paradox where you have more coders, but less people need those resources.
0: Yes, <laughs> the CEO rankings, or sorry, the SEO rankings for Stack Overflow. Tanked after the release of ChatGPT because literally, folks, I think it started tanking with Copilot, but definitely ChatGPT like made a question and answer about programming like basically obsolete. I think uh, Stack Overflow then released uh, some stuff with AI, but I know that I haven't visited that website in all so long. And uh, often, the the very rare times that I did visit it, there was no answer <laughs> because the people just answered this with AI. Right, so the next thing that released on March 14th also is Claude. Antropic. So, Antropic is a company that came out as a research institute from OpenAI. So, Dari Amadei, the CEO, and some other folks, they worked in OpenAI, and then they left OpenAI based on some differences in opinion about AGI or some stuff like this. And then, Antropic was created as a research institute. And on March 14th, they actually, I think, based on... I actually don't want to speculate. It sounds at least reasonable that based on the commercialization of ChatGPT as a product... Because again, before that, OpenAI was not a huge commercial company. They had APIs, they had a bunch of people building like million dollar businesses on top of, but they were not like directly c- commercial themselves, at least not for the consumer. So, Claude announced Claude and Claude Instant. So, Claude One and Claude Instant were also announced on March 14th. What a day, folks. What a day, March 14th. Uh, Claude was uh, 56% in human eval. So, definitely less than GPT 4, but more than GPT 3.5. I think they have to release this. And also, this meant that Anthropic is moving away from research-only institute into commercialization as well. So the same day we saw like, what many people consider the second to OpenAI lab, Anthropic, also folks from OpenAI, many people consider Anthropic to be that and Claude released with Claude Instant as well. Claude Instant was really fast and fairly, I will not say capable. And this was the, the that day, and many things happened that week afterwards, but all of them were surrounding the new capabilities that folks got from ChatGPT and differences. And I remember a week after, Sam Altman went on Lex Friedman, a week after GPT-4, and he was saying that for many people, GPT-4 is not that much better than GPT-3.5. So he was saying that for many people, it wasn't like a strong update, but we know it was. like We know after using it for a while, the GPT-4, if you use this, <laughs> there's still a dropdown in the chat GPT interface that talks about that you can go to 3.5. Nobody uses that one. I don't think that I definitely don't use that one. From a perspective of an API from developers, many folks still use that one because it was cheaper significantly than 4. 4 was slower and was way more expensive. So many developers tried to do as much prompting as possible for 3.5, but for people, as they use this, I, GPT-4 was obviously the better. But it wasn't like very clear how big of an update this is for many people. That's what Sam Altman said on Lex Redman. That like they thought it would be a bigger update for many people immediately. It just takes time for us to feel these tools, and only after you've interacted with GPT-4 for a while, then you start understanding. 3.5 is not even remotely there. So the same day, it was a crazy day. Thursday, I started famously on, on March 14th, because I had all these thoughts about this. I had all, all these thoughts, like like Peter, I was sitting like with my jaw on the floor from the vision stuff, just imagining what would happen when this releases in API form and people can actually build interface and the uh, UIs and, and products on top of. And then after a while, we got another open source thing. And yeah I think you remember this one. Vicuna from Lmcs was released March 30th. So just two weeks after they released GPT-4, we got a fine-tune of Llama based on the shared GPT exports. So if you guys remember, there was a Chrome extension to let you share your chat GPT conversations with some folks. Back then, so now there's a capability within the interface. You can just share uh, a link. There was no, n- not one capability like this. So there's a Chrome extension that, I don't remember, I think somebody from Vercel maybe released it and it used to call called Share GPT. And you used to install this extension and then share your conversations. That turned out to be one hell of a data set that I think many people scraped even. And I think that made it go down or something like this. There was a, um, controversy around that. But vicuna 13b was a fine tune of Lama. There was fine-tuned on that data set, on basically a bunch of conversations from GPT, and I think it included a bunch of conversations with four specifically, and this came from Sys. And if you remember just a few moments ago, we talked about LMCS. Sys now has the arena for open-source chatbots, and they yeah, they, they released a bunch of like benchmarks as well, if I'm not mistaken. And so Vicuna was like very impressive back then, and folks on stage, feel free to chime in on Vicuna because... Back then, I wasn't like following open source as much. Yeah, many fond memories of of that period?
1: It pretty much showed something that we all take for granted nowadays, that if you select the data specifically, very specifically, then you get a far better model. It follows the same idea of using generated data because the conversations are with GPT, so not human, but you select those that are GPT-4 and you get a much, much better model. It's pretty much, pretty much the case. And there were small tricks in the paper as well, but it pretty much just follows the same footsteps of first we got, we understood that, okay, we can use synthetic data now. Okay. We can use synthetic data, but if we use a specific only high quality synthetic data, we get the only high quality models. And so on and so forth. And we just going on the same path that pretty much leads to today with all the small improvements, but that this was the start pretty much With the Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And we're moving on to April. And we, we still have eight more months of acceleration, folks. So I, I'm hoping you're with me, you're enjoying this, because I definitely am. I had so much fun just like looking back in reminiscence. I can't imagine the next year. I can't imagine that I will be doing this manually next year. I will have AI to help me. Uh, next year, we'll have all of Thursday Eyes uh, data set and, and conversations to look back to. This I had to actually go on Twitter and, and select. April 1st, AutoGPT launches and becomes the fastest growing GitHub start project ever. And it writes its own code and is able to auto-improve. We talked about AutoGPT back then. The first pull request into the AutoGPT repo was written with AutoGPT. Since then, we saw that AutoGPT specifically needs a lot of improvement. However, AutoGPT was the first big thing that happened where we saw that it's one thing to have ChatGPT answer questions for you as a human. It's a completely different thing to run it in a loop to basically have it write a, a set of goals and then try to execute those goals in a loop and then maybe ask a user about uh, feedback or maybe continue doing this. And AutoGPT was like one of the huge big ones because, and shout out to Toran and the AutoGPT team. Uh, it was the first kind of agent feeling. And I went back to that tweet and I saw that like everybody reacted to this tweet. Andre Carpati did, some folks, like everybody started thinking, oh, this is the, the new thing. So agents was, April was marked with like agentry and smell of GPTs that run themselves as much as possible. And we saw, we're going to talk about this, but OpenAI then after a while also stepped into the agent game significantly. First with Code Interpreter and then with some other folks, some other stuff we we're going to cover. April was also the month of embeddings because now that it's been a bit about like over two weeks that we had shared GPT API, many folks started saying, hey, okay, I want to build an interface for this. I want to build a UI for this. Now I have this API that understands natural language and understands people what they actually type. How do I store this? I can store this in prompts and I can keep sending that information in prompts because in-context learning is a thing and GPT and especially with ChatGPT can remember stuff if you keep sending this in the same prompt. But what if you want to store this somewhere else? Is the data, database enough? There were a lot of talk about vector databases back in December. But I think April was the month that all of the embedding databases, like vector databases, started getting a lot of investment from a lot of the uh, VCs. And folks, together with agents, I think April was like specifically embeddings month. And many vector databases announced like a lot of the funding rounds because folks started to understand that now that we have those capabilities of a natural language conversational bots, those bots will need memory. And there is one way to do memory, which is context windows, and that kept growing. But also there's another way to do memory for a longer term, which is databases, specifically vector databases that are more fitting the natural language conversational ability of humans than just relational databases. And April 18th, after all that, Lava was released. And Lava was not the first, but definitely the more significant. And I think to this day, uh, Peter, you were surprised that it's still there. Multimodality open source begins with Lava. Lava was basically, and maybe Peter, you're going to reflect on Lava when it first released. It was a clip, I think, like a a text, sorry, video. Again, clip is an image encoder, I think from OpenAI as well. That's another open source that OpenAI did, clip. And Vicuna or Vicunia smashed together to give LLM some eyes. And this was like a great thing where we just saw a demo from OpenAI Dev Day of how incredible this would be to have an assistant with eyes. But we didn't get to use it. The only company back then, and for the longest time, and Nistin and I talked to the CEO of that, was Be my Eyes. They were the only ones who got an API for GPT-4 Vision. And then, what? 18 days later, or no, sorry, a month later, Lava came out and was like the first multimodal open source that like took Vicuna, took Clip, image encoder, and actually did some connections to make it answer questions about an image. Peter, you want to reflect on Lava when it came out? You probably saw it and covered and had thoughts back then.
4: I was a bit late to the party with, with Lava. I imagine that there are definitely some folks who were on the day one. So I was not on the day one with Lava.
0: I Me neither. I just remembered it in retrospect. Any other folks want to chime in on Lava when it's released in April? And if not, we can move on. There was like additional tiny thing there that happened. <laughs> Bard was released somewhere during that time from Google and it had some improvements. I... I honestly don't cover Bard that much. I tried it multiple times. It wasn't as performant as I expected from Google. Everybody keeps saying, Where's Google? Bard sometimes feels, like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we have Bard as well. And, and then I just don't use it. So I don't know if that's the opinion of other folks. I know some folks do use Bard, but definitely Microsoft has shown that they can play with the big boys. And I think around that time, Satya had this famous thing where, um, Google is the 800 pound gorilla in the room and we want to make them dance. And we came out and showed that we can make them dance with some of the co-pilot stuff. So moving on to May, I have it marked as context windows month, May 5th, Mosaic. And we've covered this at length. Nissan, I think you already touched the eye back then, or I don't remember, but like May, Mosaic, who got acquired by Databricks afterwards, released MPT. Not a fine-tune, not a lava fine-tune. MPT was like a full foundational model that they've trained from scratch, MPT 7B. It came out with 64,000 contacts window. Significantly more, like at least like eight times more than the previous open source. I think Lama 1 was 2,000 contacts window or three. This was 64,000. Uh, I specifically remember getting excited about the contacts windows back then because Uh, this basically said you can shove a book, a full book. I think they talk about The Great Gatsby, which was around 64,000 tokens. It was trained with one trillion parameters and it had a commercial license, which was also a huge deal back then in open source. Mosaic folks are some significant folks that worked in different labs. Now they're working for Databricks as well. They had a a platform to train these things on top of. And May 5th was a significant context window kind of opening shot like we saw with, with the whole open source a couple of months ago. Because... Just six days later, Anthropic came out and said, and Anthropic seems reactionary. to Now, in retrospect, as I'm reading through these updates, Anthropic seems reactionary to many of these things, because six days later, Anthropic said, you know what? 64 is cool. How about 100k tokens, 100,000 tokens in the context window? And they just updated Claude and their interface to basically be able to accept just huge text. Now, in retrospect, we know that many folks like Greg Kambrandt and some other folks, they did needle in haystack testing, and it's not really understanding all of that context. There's different attention throughout the beginning of this context if it's huge. But still, 100k was incredible back then. Because again, every top of the line open source was, I think, at 2k, and then Mosaic came up with 64. GPT-4 was 8,000. So 100,000 was a significant improvement on top of everything else. And honestly, 100,000 tokens from Claude from May 11th was the most performing, the biggest context window kind of commercial open source, sorry, commercial LLM up until a month ago, right? So since May until a month ago, that's a significant time to be the best at something because again, everything changes like super fast every week. And it was very interesting back then to compare embeddings, which we saw the rise of around April, and context windows, because both are ways to achieve, basically, memory for AI. Context window, you can continue sending. The more user talks to your chat, the, the more you can shove into context window. From the other side, there's an additional way, which is like what's called RAG, and RAG started to be a concept, I think, around June, but like definitely an embedding-fueled concept where you do a retrieval augmented generation You go to your embedding database, vector database. You extract some of the information that you want. You then shove this into the context. So you don't have to have huge context windows. And you can do this with precision. So that conversation of 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 both sides of ways to achieve memory started around April, May. and, And the agents were the underlying theme of all of this. Because agents is what you need to give memory to. So context windows. And I uh, I found it really funny that MPT or Mosaic back then called it Long Boy because that's llama is the thing they they've trained some longer context on top of, and context windows have been stretched since then. So Long Boy Summer begins. I remember that I remember that, that tweet fondly because context windows. It felt like an opening shot for context windows as well. Around that time, there was two papers that talked about almost infinite context windows uh, stretching as a concept in theory and. Yeah, what else in May? Oh, just tiny thing. NVIDIA came out with Voyager, if you guys remember that paper. And we've talked about this a, a bunch. Yeah, I think back then we were already talking. Voyager from NVIDIA was an agent that had memory and had like tool writing for itself. It was just like a roadmap for how to build incredible agents in the wild that do tasks that previously were like like very unsurmountable voyager used vector databases for brain for tool augmentation it used tools it wrote its own code for tools because the minecraft ability is to write tools for yourself it combined some tools together voyager was like a huge thing and i think maybe the paper of the year because it had those agents had memory stored in vector databases it wrote its own thing it like self-discovered the world it was like really incredible i think to this day it's like one of the top papers that i remember yeah many thoughts on like how voyager changed <laughs> the outline of everyone
1: yeah look uh, voyager is uh, pretty much gives us a blueprint of using using code that like building building blocks with code and then reusing them like code that extends its complexity over and over. And it's the first time it's done because the whole innovation here is that they used, they just built small programs, small uh, small functions, and then used those functions later on down the line. And essentially at the end, the code became extremely complex because you reuse your own code that you wrote before. And. The whole blueprint is something that was never seen before. It got to, it managed to do unbelievable things with planning on Minecraft. Things that, uh, the the whole thing is just uh, the whole schematics, the whole blueprint that they revealed in this paper is just out of, just way beyond anything we've seen to this time. And I think to this moment, this is one of the most amazing papers of the year because you basically use a model that was never trained on Minecraft. It's not reinforcement learning, it's just prompting. And somehow with all the tricks and in the book together, it somehow managed to actually solve the game. What we see now with rugs and memories and so on and so forth and building code to reuse for yourself and all of that is pretty much ideas that were started there, yeah. Insane.
0: Insane. One thing that I remember, thank you, Yam. One thing that I remember strongly from the Voyager paper is because I was looking at this, hey, I had this idea back in March. Because I was playing with the API before the API was there, as with the fake API, I had the idea of um, a try accept. I called it try with AI, try accept, where you now it seems trivial, everybody does this, but back then it was like, wow, this is so novel. You try to ask GPT to do something, the API returns an error, or the API returns like a JSON that's not formatted, etc. And you just put it in a try catch or try accept block. And then in the accept clause, you just send it back to the GPT with the error. Because back then, because it wasn't a completion API, chat would understand this. And so I I coined this. I remember I coined this. And then I saw this in Voyager. papers. like, oh, this is so cool. The way they used it was, the Voyager agent wrote code for itself to use tools. Right? So Minecraft, you can run this Minecraft like agent with, with code. So it used GPT-4, I want to say. I think it's GPT-4 to write the code for its own tool use, for the, the task that it needs. So it wrote this code. It tried to run the code would fail. It would then catch it in the try catch block or try accept block and then send back to the API and say, hey, this code did not run completely. Please try again. And so it would do this loop. To get the functional code, this once that worked, they will store this in the memory bank. It was like a great blueprint, and uh, yeah, I agree with you. To this day, is like one of the best blueprints for agents that we have. Moving on to June from Voyager, June six was a huge deal for OpenAI, so we're back to the OpenAI stuff. GPT three point five Turbo released functions API. So far, folks who use the ChatGPT interface, all of the developers, all we wanted is a JSON response, is a, is a way for it to tell us, hey, here's a JSON. Because again, for developers, natural language response is not formatted, it's not good enough. Like we need specifics. And so many of us try to augment with some JSON, some prompting, hey, please do this, blah, blah, blah. And so they released function API for us. Function, not only a JSON response. Function was the first time that they gave us something called tool use where you could provide, and I'm pretty sure that GPT 3.5 and 4 both were fine-tuned to understand how to tell you about functions. Like the Voyager paper did with prompting, OpenAI basically gave us the option to provide GPT with concept of what tools it can use besides language. And tools could be like, you guys know right now, like we have tool use for DALI, for example, that's a tool. We had plugins since then that all of them were tools, image generation for DALI or browsing the web with Bing. Like all of these are like tools that are built on top of the model. The model actually responds with some specific tokens that then get get turned into the tool. And so functions API was this like first attempt at tool use from OpenAI. GPT 3.5 Turbo and 4 both got a boost in capabilities and steerability. Many remember that. I I see Nate in the audience, for example. Many remember that release somewhat as interesting because many folks got started complaining because you had to do different prompting. If you guys remember, there's a whole paper from folks from Databricks about whether or not GPT-4 is getting dumber. And uh, that paper turned out not to be true, but it basically showed that mm, because the models changed a little bit, there needed to be different prompting in order to get the best out of them. And also all the benchmarks that people compare to GPT-4, I think they compared to the March versions where we just talked about March and not the June versions because June versions did not come with benchmarks specifically and they were significantly better across 3.5 and 4. Just making sure that Lama 2, for example, when it launched, and we're going to get to Lama 2 in a second next month, it compared itself to the benchmarks of GPT-4 at release time and GPT-4 on benchmarks was significantly better in June. If you knew how to prompt, unlike Databricks folks who I think they didn't prompt correctly. And so they received code that worked, but they had the three backticks. And so this didn't actually become stupider, but they thought it would. In addition to this, and OpenAI has consistently done this so far, we got a price reduction on all models. And because the embeddings were blowing up, a huge deal for everyone was a 75% reduction on the embeddings model, 75% reduction on the embeddings model, because everybody's using agents and everything in agents, all the prompts you want to store them in databases. Everybody was hitting this ADA embeddings model in OpenAI. And so OpenAI just came out and was like, hey, this is now 75% cheaper for many of you, which is incredible. And thank you OpenAI for that. June also for open source stuff marked the first rope scaling trick. We covered this back in June on Thursday I if you guys remember, we had the folks who actually found this trick. Rope scaling method is essentially tricking llama from the 4k context window to 8k and then forward by doing some rotational positional embedding magic. If you're interested in that, we had a full uh, deep dive into rope scaling and yarn that followed uh, through from news research on Thursday I but it extended llama contacts window. And since then it just became basically endless. And June also marked, shout out to Swix, the kind of the self-determination essay for AI engineer, a new type of person that's not an ML researcher. I consider myself one for sure. People who work with AI to build AI and use AI in pretty much everything to also build tools that have AI built in them. And it started to be a little bit of a difference where like we have front-end engineers, we have back-end engineers, there's ML po- folks. There's a difference between DevOps and ML ops that started to happen, right? Because productizing models on production is unlike any previous DevOps things that happened. And so AI engineers' call for self-determination happened as well. And the, the later, the summit was announced in San Francisco, I think it was October. We became to self-identify. The folks who work on this and are very specifically ha- start to have gut feelings about the differences in models, Start to talk with them every day enough to understand that Pi, for example, is good for some stuff like psychology, not that great for giving you some code. So, folks who had started to build this like intentionality and also use tools in every day started to self identify as AI engineers. And I've been one since that essay in June. Actually, I saw your reaction to the AI engineer stuff. I assume you're also self identifying or at least agreeing. Feel free to comment here while I take a drink and we move to July as, as we. That's our first six months for the last year.
1: Yeah, like we also saw a lot of internally speaking, like all of the internal companies started adopting these tools at mass. In my company as well, I had to deploy these tools more frequently. Or Let's say we started building trust on these tools more and more with these releases consistently. And these people actually helped people understand that this is an up-and-coming term, people are adopting it and stuff like that. We also, in fact, saw... A lot of people, uh, especially here on Twitter, changed their bio from Web3 to AI AI influencers or AI engineer stuff. So that is mostly for the jokes part. But yeah, we did see a lot of stuff happening after that specific time frame.
0: Yep. Middle of the year, a few months after people started realizing, hey, here's the green pasture is over here. There's many products were announcing and releasing product hunt was taken over by AI, AI engineers everywhere, obviously agents and that whole green pasture started to show up and people was like, oh, it's actually true that OpenAI releases the best models, but the way to use them in different specific contexts is to run them in a loop and give them memory and start to understand the differences in prompting. The whole concept of prompt engineers started happening as well. Pretty much before that, I think by then prompt engineer was already an established thing. Okay. Let's move on to July. July 11th, Code Interpreter was put in, in general availability. Nisten and I, we went ham on Code Interpreter. Nisten, I, I, I'm sure you remember there's a whole group that was like released and we tried to do all kinds of different things. Code Interpreter was basically OpenAI announced Code Interpreter before, they announced it with plugins, but this was like a full on general, general availability of a type of agent that they fine-tuned, and we believe they uh, fine-tuned GPT-4 specifically for the ability to write code and execute code. They also gave everyone an execution environment that was safe. So, GPT-4 started to be able to write code. It wasn't in the API yet, but it was definitely in the UI. And we tried so many things. I remember I had a whole thread a hashtag code interpreter can do this, do that. Nistan and I and a bunch of other folks opened a, a room of many folks tried to stretch it to its absolute limits. And July 11th marked the ability of AI systems to write code for themselves, execute them and give you an answer, which is like a huge thing. Whereas Voyager had to build those tools themselves. So Voyager, the Minecraft tools it wrote and actually executed, code interpreter show that it can be done in the interface and nothing horrible will happen. It can be safe. Peter, go ahead. If you remember Code Interpreter well as well.
4: My uh, memory related to Code Interpreter was, it was Friday, I believe. And Simon Wilson, who was here, is no longer on the space, published a tweet asking somebody to recreate his experiment. That experiment was pretty much installing packages from outside. And that was a beginning of my journey with Code Interpreter. I was spending like three weeks trying to break it apart. they break everything what is possible. I know that there are also like folks over here who who done that. But yeah, that was like an ultimate puzzle for anybody who has a background as operating system programming and, and do stuff with AI models. That was awesome. I remember there was like 30 prompts per free hours. So if you really wanted to break it apart and extract something from it, it was like super hard to do. Even thirty prompts to jailbreak it, but yeah, that was super cool. But I wasn't sleeping too much uh, for that time. Same, absolutely same. Awesome time.
0: It was a great time to try to get it to to do what you want and run. I remember Simon and I and Swix. We we jumped on a latent space uh, co-host space together. Just try to. Simon had access to. Uh, code interpreter before so he, he had a little bit of knowledge and then when they released the public yeah, version exactly. yeah, when yeah. Re- he was
4: sharing that stuff like that was working before but right now they put that stupid uh, stupid protection stuff yeah that was that was super cool simon like he was leading the group of people who tried <laughs> to break we,
0: we had a bunch of prompts that we didn't share publicly in this if you remember to try to get yeah, the model do what we want
4: mine. Yeah, I didn't share mine, but that was awesome because the most secret prompt that uh, nobody thought about, people were asking questions like, What prompt did you use? But very often you just need to ask politely, other than do all of those crazy stuff that we also did. But sometimes you just need to ask nicely.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need to say, Hey, yes, you can, even though you think you can't, and even though you don't think this environment supports. Execution of it, binary files—you can just try it. So I definitely remember the change in my prompting ability after working so much to jailbreak code interpreter as well. Again, Anthropic, same day, same day as code interpreter release, July eleventh. Are you guys starting to notice this pattern? Anthropic release Claude two with announced two hundred k context window. They only get access to one. They also released Cloud.ai, which was like their interface that is very useful. Claude before, you had to apply. It wasn't that easy to get into. Definitely API is still not easy. They achieved 71% on human eval and they released like the 100k uh, context window in actual useful interface for free for everyone. So previously you had to re- register to Entropic like uh, a whole thing. Cloud.ai was like super easy to get into and you would get like, 100k context window usable that day. I think Nistan previously you mentioned that Cloud was still like one of the best performing ones for longer context summarization. I definitely know that every summary, every transcript that I did for Thursday, I, I ran through Cloud up until ChatGPT GPT context window release. So Entropic seems to be Yeah,
3: it's it's also the most natural sounding for summaries. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do them with ChatGPT, GPT, they end up sounding like ChatGPT. GPT. You can tell, even if it's GPT-4 or 3.5, 16K, like they have, you can tell that it was a chat GPT-generated. Whereas with cloud, the language it outputs, is it feels way more natural. And yeah, it just feels better at, at summaries. In the end, I just get a better product from it, even though it might not be as smart above 64K context like some recent benchmarks showed for GPT-4 128K.
0: Absolutely. And I think so far people still use cloud since then cloud was greased like worldwide. Back then it was only US and and UK, I I believe. Folks, I want to acknowledge the time here for just a second. It's been two hours here. We spent the first 45, maybe like 50 minutes uh, getting updates on Everything that happened this week, and a lot has happened this week. And now we're going through everything that happened this year. And this takes more time than usual. So if you're still here and able to stick with us, great. This will be released in the podcast if you want to follow up and then you have to go run. We know like Thursday is a very busy day for many of you. But if you're still here, I really appreciate your time. And we just got to half a year. And yeah, the next thing you'll love as well, July 18th, just a week after we got Code Interpreter, we got Llama 2. And Llama 2 the way we got it was incredible if you remember they released llama 2 as a commercially licensed open source model but you had to apply to a form on 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 meta etc and then some person on a friday opened the pull request to the llama interface to to the llama github repo and said hey Instead of, instead of you guys suffering from all this traffic, I just upload this to, to Torrent for you. So here's a link. And not only did they upload it to a Torrent, they opened the pull request to the actual Lama repo, to the readme section, and said, hey, here's a link to Torrent if you don't want to go to the, the official downloads to save meta bandwidth. I remember that was really funny. And it was a Friday, and I remember everyone in this went to this pull request and approved it. And I think back then, that Friday was like, one of the coolest things you could do is go to the pull request in meta. It didn't do anything. Like you can't merge it into the actual repo, but you, for some reason, could approve the pull request. So for the longest time, like approving yourself was a stamp on the open source (laughs) um, internet kind of phenomenon for a while that like you approved the leakage of Llama 2 in open source, in in, in torrent weights. They released the base and chat models this time. So they did release a fine-tuned version of Llama 2 for us. They released a commercial license. You can actually put this in production. And we've seen since then. It's only been, what, six months in July. We now see this in Azure. So Microsoft announced Llama 2 in Azure. We now see this in Bedrock in, in Amazon. We see this pretty much everywhere. So this open source model significantly showed. Basically, Llama 2 was for the longest time like the best model that we have. Yeah, many fond memories from that Friday or like that week post Llama 2 release? That was Llama 1. That's the
1: whole thing.
0: Because Wait, Lama One was thing. the leak? Yeah, I confused yeah, the things. Yeah. Oh yeah, no.
1: Llama weights. Everywhere you go on the internet. Oh, they don't know that llama weights are out because all the Doomers were freaking out that Lama weights are out and I don't know, it's gonna destroy the world or something. Because it's the first time powerful model is out. And yeah, it was but the whole thing is that on Lama two, none of this exists anymore. Because it's just commercially licensed and just meta just to keep it to you. Just take the weights. It's fine. So this was like oh, a oh, fully the whole, open source. Yeah, the, the whole, that's the whole thing. They, it was such a contrast from what we were used to. Like you feel like a criminal for using the weights, <laughs> the licked weights. And yeah, uh, we know now that Meta probably didn't care if the weights uh, if you use the weights. But in Lamatur everything is legit. And yeah.
0: Okay, so I... And
1: we got to today where, yeah.
0: I got my wires crossed, folks. So Lama1 was released in this Ho leaked method. It was released with like research uh, license only, but then method did not for the longest time remove the pull request with the torrent. I think they closed it like just recently, like a month ago or something. I remember that. Uh... So for the longest time, even though they released it technically for research purposes and it leaked and you couldn't use this in production, many folks like gams had already started like doing a bunch of stuff on top of it. And when the world didn't end because of this, when like the open source weights was leaked and nothing happened, if anything, the open source community stepped together and started doing things like Vikun and Alpaca and many other things and like Lama CPP, all these things that, that happened because the open source was not ending the world. I think Meta said, hey, we released it, nothing happened now it's time to release it like all fully open source they cleaned out data sets and they released llama 2 on july 18th with a commercial license and, and like i said no longer feeling a criminal that you're using leaked stolen weights to run stuff on top of llama had 30 percent on human eval which is not impressive at all so the coding ability for llama was not great 70 on mmlu which is impressive but like the coding ability was not great and back then Jan lecun said patience folks Coding ability is coming. But we also, we already had a bunch of fine tune folks already starting to hit their engines because Llama 2 was a significant improvement. And I think for many companies, specifically because of the commercial license, many companies had an update. We didn't cover Falcon, but Falcon was there before Llama 2, and Llama 2 was just a significant update on Falcon as well. And then they followed up with a Code Llama release in August. So, Code Fine Tune models. I actually don't know if many folks used Code Llama that much. I definitely know that other fine tunes made those open source models code. Code Llama, we talked about this, it seemed cool, but I actually don't know if Code Llama was an actual thing that people needed or actually cared about. I honestly I don't think so. Let's move to September. September marked the release of DALI 3. And yeah, Austin go ahead on Code Llama maybe and then we're going to move to September.
1: I think I think in general we're sleeping on Code Llama. The models get very good at reasoning when they have a lot of code in there. The problem is it got a lot of catastrophic forgetting over language, so it's not so good at conversation. But that comes back really fast with fine tuning. And what you get as a model, it's much
3: stronger on reasoning.
0: Awesome. Yeah, catastrophic forgetting is when you correct me if I'm wrong. Is when you continue trading training that some stuff that the model already know, it starts forgetting completely, right? Like it's getting better at one task that you fine tune on, uh, but other things are getting lost. you're
3: yeah, writing over the pre-training data
0: a little bit. Yeah. So hopefully if we're sleeping on code llama, hopefully we'll find some better usage of it. September, DALI 3 released. And the reason I'm bringing DALI 3 here, even though I haven't touched anything else in the AI world, besides LLMs and open-source LLMs in Vision, is because Dall-e 3 added multimodality on the output and chat to image generation. And I think it was significant because so far, tests with stable diffusion were trying to shove them together, but basically the only thing that you could do is to have your model like kind of fine-tuned on prompts for stable diffusion or something. So we had attempts at this, and here in the same UI, ChatGPT showed us that you can ask and converse with the model, it would understand the context of the prompt and will help you generate. And I think we saw this week, you guys saw the more trend where people like ask it for more stuff. So you can have somebody frustrated and more frustrated, or or you can have somebody excited or more excited. That whole thing came in September where DALY3 was introduced, where the new interface for DALY3 was not no longer like one line of prompt, that you can prompt it to draw something. You can actually talk with ChatGPT that knows about prompt engineering and it will write prompts for you for DALI. basically adding multimodality on the output. This happened September twentieth, and a week after that we got Mistral Seven B in September. And Mistral so far is the top performing like open source LM. They did basically what somebody did for that they just added a torrent link. Mistral did it to themselves. Mistral announced themselves. Back in the summer, I think in July, that they like three French guys, X Meta, I think, and some other folks, they raised 113 million dollars. People were saying, hey, AI hype, bubble is here, those are like huge rounds with nothing to show, just like three guys with no product. In September, they showed everyone why they raised exactly this type of this amount of money. Completely open source. Released a tweet. In this tweet, there was a torrent link, a magnet link, nothing else. And people started downloading this, saw that it's a weights file, started running this weights file, started seeing, oh, there's a 7B model in there that like outperforms significantly the almost Lava Lama 70B, definitely outperformed Lama 13B. And they just like completely released it with an open source Apache 2 license with a torrent link. I thought it was glorious. Shout out to Mistral folks. September 27th was a great day. And since then, the Mistral fine tunes, I think to this day, are the best performing 7B models that we have. And We're still waiting for Mistral to drop their, like, bigger ones. Now that we're getting some Quen and some other stuff, we'll see. Mistral was, like, ridiculously good. Do we know why at this point? Yam, do you want to take a a, a, a guess at, like, why Mistral specifically is that good on top of everything else?
1: We found that the optimal learning rate on it was about six times lower than Llama 7Bs. So the implication is they trained on about six times as much data. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I remember there was a confu- discussions about how much data they trained it on, and it's, it's getting really confusing because the size of the model that we get doesn't necessarily mean for how long they train. You can keep training the model for longer or for more data. There's a bunch of parameters to to to, to, to tweak and fine-tune, but Mistral definitely gave us a way, way like top-performing model, and, and the one that... Significantly show that not only open source is here, you can actually run this on most consumer hardware, most consumer GPUs, a single GPU, Mistral 7B would run and actually be performant, right? And so we talked about in the beginning of this the llama file from Mozilla that you can have a binary file that actually makes that worthwhile on a single GPU machine that you can run this. Everything else, the 70B, you need to split on several, that's not consumer hardware. Uh, Mistral 7B runs on consumer hardware, it's really good. Another thing happened on September twenty fourth, 27th, GPT-4 vision was announced in in general availability and uh, vision and voice. So uh, GPT kind of came with full multimodality on September 27th, giving us vision, which we talked about, but now we actually got it to use voice where it understands you because on the mobile phone, you could actually start speaking to it and it could hear you and also could speak to you as well. So OpenAI also showed us that they had what 11 Labs had before, and they are able to combine multimodality on input and output, what I love to call MM multimodality input, MMIO. And they announced this back in September. October, like two weeks afterwards, where we started like looking at Mistral, Open Hermes was released by no- News Research in Technium, and it topped the charts. And I think to this day, Open Hermes is considered one of the top performing open source small models. As we talked about, Neural Hermes is also a continuation of that that's now potentially state of the art as well. That was in October. In a small thing in October as well for folks who like like the inflection approach, inflection spy. The non the system the kind of the conversational assistant was for the longest time for me the LLM that you could talk to and actually laugh about. ChatGPT was not funny at all. Claude was very like analytical as well. Pi was actually conversational and did multimodality in voice before everybody else. You could actually like FaceTime this model and talk to it, which is super cool. And uh, Pi got connected to the web on October 16th, and nothing happened. And again, like Yama, yeah, I think to the point from before where the weights dropped for lemma 1 and the world didn't collapse, where all the doomers were afraid that it's going to happen. The same thing people talked about, writing code, leading, giving a model the ability to write code and execute it, and also giving the model the ability to connect to the internet. And so we saw both things happen from ChatGPT and also Pi also connected to the, to the web, making it real-time and you could ask it for stuff that happens actually like in real-time. And also they added support Pi mode, which is like a specific fine tune mode though, for support and and kind of psychology, psychiatry help. And I think uh, October caps with Adept releases, the multimodal Fuyu 8B model. And we've talked about Fuyu on Thursday I Fuyu was the, the first, and uh, Peter, if you want to chime in here, welcome to, uh, Fuyu was the first, model that's multimodal that understands images without an image encoder which was interesting and it's well performing now that we got this like new benchmark that we talked about the mmu benchmark in the beginning Fuyu is actually at the bottom there so it's not that well performant but it was a small model a very simple one and the folks from adept are doing great things so we're going to wait for some other stuff from adept and i think we're coming on to november folks and november was also a singularly huge month November started with Grok from XAI. Somewhere during the summer, somewhere Elon Musk did a lot of noise about OpenAI training on Twitter, then closed Twitter API because of it, blah, 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 blah. Announced XAI in the the summer and Grok from XAI with real-time access to all of X and all of Twitter content, trained on a bunch of other stuff. Igor Babushkin, one of the folks from the Groking paper, is leading the the team there, very serious team. They released Grok from XAI. I actually don't have access yet. I don't think I'm paying for premium plus, but I've, I've seen some folks getting excited about its ability to be funny or think it's funny. It's a definite change in how OpenAI uh, gives their models. We're very constrained. Uh, so X was launched and uh, soon to be APIable as well. So we, we potentially may see products built on XAI or Grok on top of uh, ChatGPT as well. And this was a day before the OpenAI Dev Day, and OpenAI Dev Day was a huge thing, I think. Unless OpenAI now releasing some cool stuff for the birthday, OpenAI's Dev Day was like the huge capability push from OpenAI towards the one year end. And we got so much stuff that day that like we covered, I think, those three spaces of it. So I'm just going to run very quickly about the stuff that we've got because I'm running out of breath. So... We've got the combined mode, which we spent maybe three hours in the space talking about the combined mode. So previously, you would be able to switch between the modes on OpenAI's ChatGPT interface from plugins to browsing was a separate mode to image, uh, not image, dialy generation was a separate mode. All of these modes were separate and then they combined them into one with a model that understands between them two, between all of them. Many folks did not like the combined one. I loved it. I specifically loved it because this showed a shared context understanding of an image that you upload and DALI could generate based on this image, a completely MMIO multimodal input and output and also browsing so you could use real-time stuff. We also got GPT-4 Turbo, which is a newer model that's like significantly faster and with 128,000 context window tokens, which was again, we talked about Lamo before, sorry, Cloud before with 100K. This is the first time the OpenAI can leapfrog that and also it became 3x cheaper on top of GPT-4. So all of these products, all of these like APIs, the built-in GPT-4 now became 3x cheaper faster with a lot more context as well. So there's a significant update to capabilities to all of us. They also released assistance API with a bunch of capabilities like retrieval. So all of the agent stuff that we've talked about before, OpenAI on Dev Day decided to go into that fully and not only give... The users, uh, the the consumers, access to this, but also give developers access to this. So, assistance API actually has stateful memory, so you, you don't have to keep sending a huge context file with more and more of the chat. That manages this for you. The vector databases, like all of those things, will also be provided by OpenAI, so you don't no longer have to build them yourself. You could if you want to, but you don't no longer have to. They have stateful API. They have retrieval built in there with assistance, and they gave a huge shareable GPTs push as well. So they gave stuff to developers like us, which eventually will find itself in the user land. Many folks will use those assistant APIs, but also they gave shareable GPTs for us to create. So shareable versions of GPTs that you and I can create, and I've created a bunch um, as well, that you can share. It has custom instructions in there. It has a retrieval built in there, so you don't have to build it. You can upload files, it will be able to get it. It has actions, so you can actually give the specific power-ups for your own business use case. One example of this, actually, today from Weights and Biases, I have to add, but this, like, fits. We released WANDBOT. WANDBOT is a Weights and Biases bot that answers questions about Weights and Biases. So folks who use Weights and Biases and know, d- don't know who to ask about specific things, WANDBOT is one such, like thing it's an agent it goes and connects to all the information it does retrieval gpt is an option for us to put this in your hands without having to install anything because we connected a gpt specifically to that api that answers questions for you but also OneBot is available on slack if you want to and you can it's open source completely and the shareable gpts this is why i mentioned OneBot as well it was very easy for us to put a ui on top of something we already had so previously OneBot, you had to install Slack or whatever, another chat interface, and OneBot itself was an open source that you, you had to run. And now with GPTs, it took us less than a week to connect, less than that, like to connect it to a specific API that's shareable with everybody who pays for ChatGPT+. So GPTs were a huge thing. I still think that once the marketplace for GPT releases, it's going to be a significant update to many people, especially in the consumer land, not developers. Who are going to interact with a bunch of GPTs? Going to find them. OpenAI also announced that commercialization of that is coming, and revenue share from GPTs is coming, etc. So we we really got in November a huge update to capabilities to understanding vision API finally came out. And Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm sure that you you, you had what like three. Top-performing hacker news, like, updates about, like, how Vision API changes the game. And since then, we saw Cursor adding zero from Vercel. Everybody's building with Vision API. This also came out on the same Dev Day. So Dev Day, like March, I'm getting a little winded, but Dev Day, like March, was a singular day for just many developers and many users of OpenAI. That same day, or a few days after Dev Day, there was a huge update in terms of, like, how people treat open source as well. And... This came because of the OpenAI drama that also happened this November, if you guys (laughs) forgot. This also happened because after dev day, there was a long downtime for OpenAI. And so many people started thinking, hey, I should probably maybe run open source. It's as good as 3.5 been. And so actually, we're capping up a year. And at this point, a year after ChatGPT first released, we have open source models that run in a single binary file via this Lama file thing that leapfrog GPT 3.5 in capabilities that completely run local on your hardware, that are fine-tuned for your specific use cases, they are able to run tools and have memory. So all this happened in a year, and now we're at this place where you can literally, where Amazon announces those tools via their API, but you're able to run them on consumer hardware. So it's been an incredible year since then, and one thing to maybe put like the cherry on top of everything there is Microsoft, who invested $13 billion into OpenAI, did a complete significant pivot and did not intend to miss this like huge innovation wave, like they missed the mobile one. Microsoft announced Copilot everywhere. So this was the end of November. This was what, a week ago, a week and a half ago. In Microsoft Ignite, they talked about Copilot everywhere. So Microsoft has built ChatGPT basically powered tools into all of the office apps, all of the mail apps, the Microsoft Teams, all of it. So much that when OpenAI drama happened about who leaves who and the board, and was actually finalized yesterday, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw, Sam Altman is back as a CEO, Greg is back, Ilya is out of the board but potentially stays at the company. There's a new board with Brett Taylor and, and uh, some other folks. That whole drama ended and Microsoft looked like it's going to be the winner no matter what because Microsoft took the position of We have access uh, and strategic partnerships, but also we're investing significantly into Copilot everywhere. And I think this has been one hell of a year, one hell of a year. It's felt accelerating as fast as possible, and it's only going to accelerate from there. And I thank all of you for listening for so long because it's been two and a half hours of us here. And with that, I want to just shout out that it changed my life completely, end to end. ChatGPT release and then everything that happened so far—it significantly helped me understand. Like the world is changing. I was, I'm loving covering this from week to week, and I actually loved covering the, the whole year. Hopefully next year we're going to cover it next year as well and dedicate more time to it. But with that, I want to say thank you for all the folks on stage who helped me understand what happens there. Peter for Vision, Yaman Alignment for Open Source LLMs, Nisten for AI Engineering actually as well. Some other folks that we had in the audience as well. And really appreciate everybody's here's time for listening to us. This will be released as a podcast episode, a long one. And happy birthday, ChatGPT. And we'll see you guys here next week and we'll cover everything else that happened this day while we're talking for a long time. So thank you all for listening thank you all for coming. Thank you wait and biasley for hiring me and letting me do as a national job. And with that, we'll see you next week and have a great happy chat GPT birthday.